This is Steve Prince, printmaker, and you're listening to Studio Noise. Yes, yes, it's the noise, the noise, the noise, it's the sound of creation. Yes, so you out there, you making them etchings, you making them woodcuts, <laughs> oh, you making them lithographs, oh, that's the noise, that's the noise, that print noise, oh, I love it, <laughs> that's what we love right here on the Studio Noise Podcast, it's a special episode of Studio Noise. And I am your esteemed host, your boy, Jay Barber, printmaker, artist, third-year grad student trying to get it all done. This special episode brought to you in conjunction with Print Austin, the good folks at Print Austin. Hey, Kathy. <laughs> hey, Paloma. <laughs> How y'all doing? And the good folks over at Pine Copper Lime. Hey, Miranda. <laughs> How y'all doing? Yes, we teamed up. Together this year to bring you some special content from Print Austin Expo 2021. Ooh, new year. I love it. I love it. Yeah, so everybody don't know, Print Austin is an artist-led nonprofit working with local venues and artists to showcase traditional and contemporary approaches to printmaking. Their annual festival will take place January 15th through February 15th, 2021, and offer both safe in-person printmaking-focused experiences and virtual programming. You can find more information at printaustin.org. Also, Print Austin's highly anticipated print fair, Print Expo, is being reimagined as a virtual exhibition this year. That includes the one-day conference on February 6th, along with the online exhibition where artists will have the ability to showcase and sell their latest prints. Visit printexpo.org to learn more. And, of course, you can always look back in the great Studio Noise Archive. Go back to episode 75, where I went down to Print Austin. It was year before last. Oh, no, it was last year. Man, <laughs> it feels like a whole different century or, <laughs> century or something. So much has happened since then. But early last year, right before the pandemic hit, I was down to Print Austin having a good old time hooking up with all the printmakers down there. So check out that episode after you listen to this one right here. This year, Big Medium and Print Austin partner up for their eighth annual international jury exhibition called the Contemporary Print 5x5 and it's juried by Studio Noise fam, Delita Martin of Black Box Press Studio. We love Delita. Everything she touched just turns to gold. <laughs> she can't help herself. She's just full of black girl magic. Studio Noise fam, go check out her episode on Studio Noise Archive. Uh, and this virtual ex exhibition will showcase five works by five contemporary artists from the United States, Australia, and Slovenia giving us a broad survey of printmaking happenings all over the globe. In conjunction with that, you got the Pine Copper Line podcast and Studio Noise, lending our voices and interviewing some of the people picked for the show. And you can get to know them as a lead up to the big show down in Austin. And, you know, just for prosperity, get to hear from a, a lot of great printmakers, right? So usually on Studio Noise, we do, we focus on black artists and presenting their voices. But of course, I love Print Austin so much. I definitely want to lend my voice and support to what they do. So definitely check them out. And that brings us to today on this very special episode of Studio Noise. So bring you my girl right here. We used to work together in the studio pre-COVID. <laughs> Pre-COVID, we used to be in the studio together. We're talking about Chloe Alexander. She's a printmaker, teacher, city council member. She's on a big journey with her art and discovering a lot of stuff. We get into a lot of different stuff on this episode. So I think y'all are going to like it. If you like prints, you're going to like this. It's, it's that simple, right? <laughs> it's that simple. So right after the break, I'm back with Chloe Alexander, the hapless printmaker on Studio Noise. The noise. The noise.
All right. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. I'm chiming in, representing for Print Austin this time. Special episode of Studio Noise. So this one is all about printmaking. So I had to bring one more printmaker sisters in to talk. <laughs> I'm talking to Miss Chloe Alexander. How you doing, girl? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, yo. So me and Chloe go way back, way back in the way back when when the before times when everything was open. We used to be up in Atlanta Printmaker Studio together, knocking out prints and doing all kinds of good stuff, yo. So Chloe, tell everybody how you got into printmaking. Oh, I got to go way, way back to high school. High school. Okay. That's what's up. Yeah, I had an um, art teacher. His name was Mr. Phillips. I used to call him Dr. Phil. And I was in, I can't remember what class I was in. I took all the art classes that you could possibly take. Like I oh, said, yeah. ceramic. They created a ceramics for because they ran out of ceramics classes <laughs> I could take. <laughs> Um, but I can't remember if it was drawing and painting or if it was, um, AP art, but we did a project where we did a lino cut and we just had like easy cut and the little, um, you know, multi-blade tool from Speedball. Yeah. Yeah. You had we the did. pink one? No, mine was red. Like oh, okay. the earthy red yeah. one. I know what you're talking about. And the white easy cut, um, you know, linoleum. And I don't even remember what the first print that I did was, but mine was the best in the class. And so my um, teacher had gone to Georgia State and he took printmaking classes from Matthew Sugarman, who also had as a printmaking instructor. And he told me all about like Georgia State. He's the one who really pushed me to go to art school because I um, I knew I was going to school because there was no other option for my family. And then I didn't know what I would go to school for. So he kind of showed me the opportunities of what I should do um, or what I could do. And so he showed me how to do a reduction lino cut. Um, my first one was like a self-portrait because I also took photography. And so I would take pictures of me and my friends with my pinhole camera that I made in photography class. Yeah. And then I would expose the film and then I'd go to the library with my floppy disk. If you go way back, my floppy disk. <laughs> um and, you know, print the pictures to like an eight by 10 and then I carve them and do reduction prints. Um, so I had like this whole series in my AP portfolio of reduction prints. They were all like analogous color schemes. That's dope. Um, yeah. And then that same class, he taught me how to do a, we had like a tabletop etching press. It was probably made by Speedball. Um, One of the small ones? Yeah. I think maximum size it could print was maybe like the press bit was like 18 by 24. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, like a, a standard classroom size for like high yeah. school. Yeah. And he taught me how to do um, dry point etchings on Plexi. I did some mono prints. And so that was my introduction to printmaking. So I did like the extent of what you could do in a high school classroom. And so when I left there, like it was with, it was in me. <laughs> and I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, you got to uh, turn quick. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, because but prior to that, I, I mean, it was one of those things. You were, I was good at art. Like lots of kids are good at art. I would define my childhood as a long expanse of boredom, and so <laughs> um, I would do creative things just to kind of fill the void. And but it was one of those things like I never took it seriously or thought that it was something that you could do as like a career or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so that was kind of the first idea of like, oh, this is something that I can do. I can go to school for this. And even going to school, I didn't see it as a, a career that I could pursue. But I'm like, if I'm going to spend money on a degree, I may as well get a degree in something that I enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, uh -huh. it's hard to get up and go to them English classes when you ain't feeling it. Especially oh, yeah. when you start I mean, writing them long papers and stuff. Like you got to do something you enjoy or else it is, it's a super struggle to try to get through the time. Right. And so going from just doing art to really learning to enjoy it and love it was the impetus to getting a degree in printmaking. At yeah. Georgia State. That's what's up, yo. So you end up getting your degree at Georgia State. Uh, yep. Matthew Sugarman, I'm at Georgia State now, of course. Yeah, everybody know. And so getting my MFA. So you had fun with Sugarman. So did Sugarman take y'all through uh, lithography and and all the other stuff? 
Yes, the man, the myth, the legend, Matthew Sturgeon. <laughs> yes, one um, of the best, one of the best. I swear, everybody who went through Georgia State's art program, they're like, did you take any of Matthew's classes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matthew's great, yo, because Matthew is, Matthew is mad quirky. And so, yeah. but he knows so much about printmaking. Like, he, he's like an encyclopedia. You just sit down and talk with him. Yeah. And prior to that, like, you know, in high school, I learned about auditioning and a very a traditional approach. And then my intro class was with Oliver, whose last name I cannot remember. I just remember he was a librarian at Emory and he taught part time at Georgia State. Like he taught the night class. Um, and it was also from that same kind of approach. Like we did the standard. You did a um, some kind of reduction print. You did. um a relief print. What else do we do? We did an etching. We did a mono print. We did a transfer. It was very standard. Yeah. And it wasn't until I started taking Matthew's classes um, and I took screen printing, lithography. Um, I never took mono printing, but I think I had like a special study seminar that was during the mono printing class. So I got to see some of the stuff that they were doing in there. Um, that was when I started learning that it was acceptable to do printmaking differently. Like everything didn't have to be an addition. Um, you know, Matthew would say, you know, if something's on your print and you don't like it, then scrape it up or cover it up or get a pastel and push it back and print something on top of it. And so that's when I started seeing printmaking, not just as a way to make a multiple, but as a way to make a unique impression that's different from anything that you can create by drawing or just painting alone. Cause the texture is different. Um, the transparency of the pigments and um, the tactile nature of prints is always going to be different. You know, I can make a print that looks like a drawing, but someone's going to look at it and know this doesn't quite look like what a drawing looks like. What did you do? And then you can say, oh, well, this is a print. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's always that moment they can look at it and be like, how did they do this? Like, and right. that's when you can like break down all the things. So that's definitely one of the things we're going to actual about when I think of one of your prints, like Cat's Cradle 2. That's a silk screen, gold pigment, acrylic ink and ink. Like you put a lot of different uh, medias together as you're yeah. creating this print. So where does that interest come from? Um, essentially the same thing. Like I have a saying that no artistic effort should be wasted. And, you know, from a traditional standpoint, if you print an addition, any that are not exactly the same should be destroyed or they shouldn't be in circulation. And, you know, paper's expensive, ink is expensive. If I have a misprint, then I'm not going to waste it. And so a lot of things, what I'll do, I'll keep my misprints and I'll use them for, and when I say misprint, I mean, you know, there's an inconsistency in, um, you know, if I do a silk screen, I, there's a dry spot. And so the ink didn't hit that section or um, my registration was a little bit off. I'll take those prints and do something else with them, but I never throw them away. Even if it's, I flip it over and print on the back of the paper, I always reuse them. And so um, Cat's Cradle kind of came from, I was teaching a kid in my class, like how to draw flowers. I teach art for my day job. Or I tell people I teach art full time as a hobby. But um <laughs> True teacher right there. True teacher. <laughs> I was teaching a kid how to draw like botanicals. And I had my portfolio with me because, um, you know, I just if I have downtime or I teach high school. So a lot of it's self-directed. If they're working, I get bored. And so I start drawing my own stuff. And I think it's a good model for them to see like my art teacher does art, too. And um, I had one of my misprints of the cat's cradle, which I actually did for the um, print Austin trade portfolio last year. And I just started drawing flowers on it. And, um, you know, it's just naturally progressed. Like, okay, these flowers are black and white. I really like this. Um, but I wonder what it would look like if I painted these flowers and so I got another misprint and I re replicated the flowers and that's just the printmaking in me. I'll draw the same thing like 50 times. Um, <laughs> well, probably a little bit of OCD. It's probably a little yeah, medicine. Just a little bit, just a little bit. But I drew the flowers and I painted them and I was, I 
looked at it. I was like, oh, but the ink is metallic. I should make these flowers metallic too. And so it just became like, you know, that's the beauty of prints is if you have the, in any other instance in life, if you could do something multiple times, why would you do it the same way twice? Like, even if you could just tweak one thing, why not go for it and tweak it? And so that's why that particular print has so many different layers and mediums thrown in it, just because it felt like the thing I should do and try it out. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting process because I, I encourage um, my students when I teach at Georgia State uh, printmaking, I always encourage them that this is not just uh, print formally. Like It can be, like you said, addition, put in a box, uh, wrapped up and, you know, put it on the shelf or something. Or you can look at it as you are creating material, right? Yeah. And like, it's, it's, it's nothing to take an old print, um, tear it up and collage it into something else. Or like you said, just draw on top of it. Just use something opaque and cover it up and then do your thing on top of it. And you get a lot more exciting results from it. Like you said, why not follow the what if equation? You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of what I teach in, in theory is like, that's cool what you did. But what if you made it blue? Like, what if you made the feet bigger? Like, what if you, you know what I'm saying? Put uh, added flowers in the background like that. that what if and printmaking is that medium where you can do it like you can yeah. actually do it. Like it just add another layer or cover up another layer like, you know, do whatever. And so and it's I, also good. It's also one of those things where the product can't be predetermined. Like, you know, if I have this piece of paper and it's got, you know, I have tons of papers that I've done experiments or whatever on them. And when I was in the process of doing that experiment, I never imagined what I was going to do with it. But that moment comes at some point um, where I say, oh, this image would look great on that paper that I was playing with two years ago. It's in the flat file. So that's kind of a beautiful part of it, too, is there's no way you can predetermine what the results are yeah. if you're just kind of recycling or reinterpreting um, image that was created before, sometimes by accident. So what's your favorite papers nowadays? My favorite papers, I keep saying I need to find a way for um, Legion Stonehenge to sponsor me because <laughs> I almost... Shout out to Legion, yo. <laughs> That craft paper that they make is everything. It's like my favorite paper. I would say it's far superior to any color paper that Arches makes. Um, so I use mostly Legion Stonehenge. Um, occasionally I'll use Reeves just because I like the, the like that very velvety texture. Mm -hmm. The only thing I don't like about it um, for my process, because it's great for etching, but I don't do a ton of etching, is it's not very forgiving to erasures. Like it manipulates the surface of the paper. Right. Um, and so that's why I prefer a Stonehenge. And then, of course, I love, I just discovered this. Um, Kitakata is an amazing paper. Oh, yeah, that's so a great paper. That's Awagami, right? Yeah, I use their brands. Um, like the transparency of it is just right. It's just the perfect tone of like warm, white. That's my second favorite for sure. Well, depending on the product, they're both favorites. It depends on what I'm doing. Like one is more appropriate than the other, but they're both favorites. Yeah, that's different because, you know, I never try to erase when I use Reeves. Like mostly on all of my prints, I use Reeves just because it's a really tough paper. Like you mm -hmm. can like it's, it's durable. You can put a bunch of media on it. It's always dries back flat and, you know, it can take however many layers I put on top of it. That's the, the one problem I've had with like some other papers. So it's interesting that you do that, but you use a lot of like, do you use decorative papers? Yeah, I do. I um, sometimes like the Kozo papers that have the inclusions in them. Mm -hmm. um, I used to use a lot of like decorative printed papers. I don't so much anymore. Um, not for any reason that I guess my aesthetic has changed, but Yeah. So let's talk about your aesthetic for a little bit then, because because I've always found your subject matter uh, exciting, right? Because you used to go, we used to be together at Atlanta Printmaker Studio all the time. Big shout out to Kathy and the whole team. Kathy, Kathy. <laughs> Atlanta Printmaker Studio. I uh, used to go down there all the time. And like, y'all always randomly, we just see each other in there. And it's always like, all right, what what is Chloe working on today? Because usually you, oh, yeah. you'll come in there with doing some screen prints. 
would talk about like some different stuff you could do. Then you started doing the mocha lito, like the what do you what did you call it? Um, wood, wood, lithography. wood lithography. That's what you call it. Yeah. So you started doing that stuff, and so tell me about the process of working in the in the space and how you manage your time between these different processes. Um, first of all, I love Atlanta Printmaker Studio. It's the like, best, right? <laughs> it's, it's the best, yo. I feel like I wasted so much time because, again, shout out to Matthew. He's a member there or maybe a founding member. But when we left college, he would say, you know, if you want to keep doing printmaking. Um, at the time, Rolling Stone Press was still open. So you could do lithography or go there and see lithography. And done. I never went, so I'm not sh- exactly sure if it was an open studio situation or not. And then Atlanta Printmaker Studio has everything but lithography. Yeah. And so, um, like, I li- I've lived around the corner from APS for, like, 12 years. And I never went until 2017. And then when I, like, re-immersed myself, I'm like, oh, my God, I have not been here. Like, what is my problem? And so um, I did a residency there in 2019. And that was the first time that. I had like open access with a key and could have 24 hour access. And that kind of revolutionized my printmaking studio practice because I realized um, in the case anybody knows, that's where the hapless printmaker comes from. Um, because I would go in there and I would have my whole day planned out. And then I would realize like I left my inks at home or <laughs> I left my paper at home. Or, you know, you do something stupid, like forget to um, reverse your image. Oh, yeah, that's the worst show. And I'm only in the studio for four hours on a Saturday. And so it's like my whole day is wasted. And so um, having the open access, because, you know, if you haven't been in a studio in a while, you just kind of get out of the the swing of things. Yeah, yeah. You forget the routine. Yeah. Yeah. And so some days I was just going there and have no plan. I'd just be up in there, you know, playing with stuff. Um, and then like I had the epiphany that if I'm going to go in here and print an edition, like if it takes 10 hours for me to print this edition, then it's going to take 10 hours over the course of a couple of days. And I need to give myself that time to get accomplish what I want to accomplish. And so, um, I would say that my skill level accelerated thanks to Atlanta Printmaker Studio having that open studio option Um, because I finally got to a point where I could start developing my aesthetic because I knew what technical issues could occur and how to avoid them. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I could focus my energy on the actual work. Yeah. It's funny that that's the the repetition, like when we have back to more printmaking puns, but you know, it's that, it's that repetition of it. Like just yeah. being able to do it. And like you say, seeing all the different things that can go wrong. I used to go there and when I would print my editions and just sit there, if you come on certain days, you'll be in there by yourself. Like mm-hmm. pretty much like, yeah, at least I would be the only one printing relief, large relief blocks at any given time. So yeah, I go in there and I have six straight hours on the press with nobody bothering me, but also yeah. be able to interact with people that used to come on the letter press or you even used to come and do screen printing or, you know, Tina Dunkley used to come in there all the time. Tina Dunkley is a mm-hmm. fantastic artist here in Atlanta. She does some tremendous uh, mixed media stuff too. her screen prints are really, really nice. I used to help her do <laughs> used to help her pull her really big, like 45 inch screen prints that she used to come in there and do. So yeah, you know, she's doing crazy stuff. Yeah, so all that all that kind of stuff was super fun, and um, and ha- but having the time to go through that experience of having printed a hundred of something, right? Not not a hundred of the same block, but a, but you know different different plates, and printing a hundred of them gives you a certain amount of experience hours worked on the press, and like yep. during that time, like you said, you might forget your ink, so now you know. All right, I need to have a bag, and <laughs> I need to always have my ink. Right here oh, yeah. in this bag or my paper, like I always need to have my paper because I, you know, I that would be the worst, yo, because I live about 30 minutes, 45 minutes away from APS. So, you know, you drive 45 minutes and you just forget your ink right right there at home. Yeah. You can imagine it just sitting right there on the table. <laughs> in, in your house. 
you go home, you ain't coming back. Nah, yeah, it's over. <laughs> like it's over. Like you said, my day is ruined. <laughs> it's ruined. Like it's not happening no more. Yeah. But so, but I think that gave you a good opportunity to develop a printmaking practice for yourself too. And so, oh, yeah. so going into your practicing in, you started off when I saw you, you were doing a lot of birds. And so now you've moved into doing more figural work. Like you include your kids, you include yourself. Um, tell me about that evolution. I mean, I think it's gone full circle. When I started out, um, like I said, that whole high school experience was all portraiture because I used to love photography. Um, you know, my dad bought me a manual, Nikon N95, I think it was. Oh, watch out now. <laughs> yeah. I got my manual digital SLR and I was like, yes, I ain't got to like Fancy. develop them. Yep. <laughs> and then, um, so I would like take pictures of people and I still do this, but I now do it on my phone. I take pictures of people like all the time. Like my husband's like, if you don't get that camera out of my face. <laughs> um, it, but it's, it's content to go back and look at as inspiration. And I was telling somebody that I know, I was like, I need to really sit down and figure out what, what is the reason that I am drawn to just draw people that I know, even if it's a self portrait, I've never had a desire to draw someone who's not close to me, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, but I didn't do art for a long time. I didn't do art for like five years. And um, just as a way to get me back into it, I would draw these birds because um, if I didn't mention, I grew up kind of in a rural area. And so I spent tons of time outside and um, took tons of pictures of like birds and nature and things like that. So birds have always been something that are, um, I don't know, a part of what I consider to be a tangible natural environment, no matter where you are. Like if you live in the city or if you live in the country, you're always going to see like birds as a symbol of nature and everybody can connect with that sort of imagery. Right. And so when I didn't necessarily have inspiration, um, I would just draw birds because it's something that I'm familiar with and can fall back on. And in particular crows, cause like, you know, you can attract crows really easily and they're kind of bullies. Like if you have a bird feeder or whatever, the crow will come and fight the squirrels and like, mark their territory like this is my porch and so um it's a bird that you can kind of attract close enough to like see how they behave and kind of try to capture that in a drawing so if you see me drawing birds it's because i don't have anything else i can't think of anything else to do. <laughs> and so, that makes sense that's your default your, de your default is birds i love it joe and then um, I kind of got back into drawing people um, and my kids in particular, just out of an interest of how people are interacting and how interaction has shifted so much with um, personal technology. Like, and so I tried to capture um, interpersonal relationships or make some kind of commentary about people's relationships through portraiture. Um. And so that's how that transition kind of happened. And right now I'm thinking of like ways to reintroduce nature into some of that, that portraiture work, um, but in an intentional manner, not just because I can't think of anything else. <laughs> to do. <laughs> right. Like what's the, what's the symbolism? Like you said, like you, you, I like that you're having that conversation constantly about um, why do these things mean something to me? And, yeah, um, I think that's that's really important. So why do you think it is that you only draw people that, you know? Um, I don't know. I think it's probably because I've always valued uh, like the concept of family, even if it's found family. That's what I call people who are in your life because you choose them to, like very close friends who stick around. Yeah. Not the fair weather temporary types. But um, I don't know. It's just something for me that I feel like is should be valued. I think a lot more people understand it now since they've been pent up in their houses and can't look at nobody else. Um, like, is it really that urgent that we're constantly on the go or should we slow down and value the people that we love and not reflect on it? Like how much we love them when they're gone. Cause so often you only hear these kind of interesting stories about people 
um, or all the things they're accomplished when they're gone. You don't really talk about it when they're around or you don't talk about how much you appreciate somebody when they're here. Um, so I think that might have something to do with it. I'm also, I have two boys. And so um, I'm also really interested in showing the type of life I value them having as being two black children mm-hmm. and um, also the kind of trying to perpetuate this idea that I believe black children should be children and like boys. Um, what's the thing? Boys being boys. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that should apply to black children as well. And so a lot of the images I use of them is them just doing um, the stuff that kids do. Like some of it's dumb, some of it's silly, some of it's entertaining, some of it's poignant. And so a lot of those moments I capture, like, you know, if I see my kids playing chess, I'll try to like sit in the corner and take a picture of them. Like, you know, black kids play board games too. And, you know, they have a real relationship. I've forced them to be friends. And so it's kind of interesting to see it evolve over time because there's like a six year gap between them and they really should not be getting along, but they still do. And so um, trying to illustrate those moments in their relationship I still don't I can't fully articulate why it is important to me but it is important to me that's all I can say no, hopefully yeah. no other completely. people can identify with it completely I dig it Joe I dig it especially you know it's one of them things as a parent uh, just looking at your kids you just feel something that you can't describe like even, yeah. even when we bought um, my daughter a hoverboard for Christmas and just seeing her on the hoverboard is so amazing to me. Even though I've seen people like on hoverboards and hoverboards is not that, I mean, it's old technology by now, but I don't know. It's just something about this child who I had to change her diaper and, and burp her is now she's on a hoverboard and it's just, I don't know. Like, so I, I completely understand that feeling. You can't quite articulate it. Tell me about the piece, the ties that bind us that, that I'm sorry, the bonds that untie us. Yeah, so that piece, um, I did a few pieces where I use hand strings as a metaphor to represent um, an unseen influence that's always present. And so I made, I think I made like five or six pieces or so that kind of employed hand strings as a a device. And um, that was kind of a commentary on, again, the way technology personal technology is affecting our relationships especially now i think that kind of concept is more timely now that everybody's like zooming all the time it's kind of expected that you are plugged into your technology and it's like all the science about how screen time is detrimental to your mental health is suddenly out the window and um so that piece was kind of a commentary on how this activity that at this point has almost become domestic. Like what does everybody do when they wake up in the morning, they check their phone. Yeah. Um, how we're all doing the same thing, but we're all apart. Like none of us are interacting with each other. And this thing that's supposed to make us more connected is actually making us more isolated. And so, you know, they're doing, they're both doing this domestic thing. They're very close to each other, but the chatter around those that's a woodcut so the chatter around it has them like in these kind of like little isolated bubbles and so they're doing the same game but they're not playing with each other they're not looking at each other they don't really seem interested in each other they're just kind of um you know engrossed in their own individual activity and so that's what that piece was about you're the first person to actually ask me what that piece means <laughs> like people are like, oh man, I remember when I was a kid and I used to play that game. I'm like, yeah, but it's a little bit more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. As artists, we know it's always more to it. This is Catherine Weiss, artist, printmaker, community organizer, and you are listening to Studio Noise. 
always more i yeah i appreciate it. i brought that one up and particularly when you talk about using people you know and and this one has both of your sons in it so i think they're great just as portraits of your children like alone like you know what I'm yeah. saying? even if you weren't trying to like make a bigger statement of it i just love the posture and i love the mark making and um and are these two separate blocks or was it one big block it's 24 huh. by 48 two separate blocks a funny story about those two blocks like i go to this recycling center and this guy had these four mdf panels and he was asking one of the employees do y'all take these and she said no and i was like i'll take them (laughs) (laughs) printmakers are also scavengers (laughs) yeah it was like the nice (laughs) mdf it had like some kind of like shiny like shellac type uh you know coating on i was like i'll take that don't throw that away that's all. So do you do you keep the coating on it, or do you sh- or do you sand it off? No, I kept it on there. So it didn't affect um, your print at all. Mm-mm. I painted it with a coat of acrylic, and it didn't. Oh, ah, okay. There you go. So, yeah. Yeah. That's what's up, y'all. What kind of inks do you use? Um, just speedball, like the oil based inks. I think for the woodcuts, I should probably invest in like a can of ink because it gets really expensive to those little tubes don't go very far if you're printing oh, big. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, not at all. Have you ever tried the Speedball Professional um, water-based inks? That, uh-uh. I'm sorry, they're water-soluble oil-based inks. They're very easy to clean up. I should get you a can of it. You should, and this on the record, you don't get me a can. <laughs> yeah, that... <laughs> Man, the audience got to hold me to it. But no, I'm going to get you. I, I get you a can of it because I, I actually I like those inks, especially if you're working in a community studio and you mm-hmm. need to clean up um, quickly and easily. So like as you finish. So uh, I recommend it I, just to, you know, give it a shot and see what you want. It's, it's hard to recommend stuff to other printmakers because printmakers are very finicky about their materials. That's why I'm asking you about all the little bits and pieces, because, you know, you, you learned a lot of stuff from one what's available to somebody and two mm-hmm. what they what tips they got from somebody else you know what i'm saying and mm-hmm. so it's always interesting like the 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 huge collection of of various tools that people can have to make their marks how do you, how do you make your marks on on your woodcuts like that's just speedball tools or do you have any any other tools that you use in particular Mm-mm. i bought some uh Flex cut tools, like maybe a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. like the just a standard like five full set, and it had um, like a couple of V gouges, a U gouge, and the then I bought. You talking about the beginner set? I got that one. Yeah, and then it didn't quite have uh, carving tools that were small enough, so I got their micro carving set that came with like six tools. And then don't ask me how many millimeters I got their their large gouge to like clear out large areas. Uh And then I just recently ordered some tools from McLean's to try them out to see what they're like. Because I don't do a ton of carving. I do enjoy, especially now I'm working more from home with, um, you know, studio access being affected by COVID and things like that. Um. And so carving is something that I'm falling back on because it's something that I can do at home. Like I can hand, I discovered you can hand print stuff that's large, even though I was like vehemently opposed to trying to hand print some large stuff, but it's possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do it rarely. That's one of the reasons I I cut down a lot of my printmaking because of that. Cause I, cause you know, at a certain size is okay. Like when I do smaller ones, if I can Mm -hmm. keep it, if I keep it under 15 inches, I can print it by hand and be fine. But like the larger ones I print, like 36 inches or something like that, like it's a lot of work to get those printed properly. And so It is. If you messed up, you just messed up. Yeah, so. yeah. You just, and it's so easy, especially printed by hand. It's like, yo, you get halfway through and that joint slip. It's like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is this is trash. You get so mad at the world after that. Yeah. I feel you, yo. So what's your favorite printmaking technique so far? You do a lot. You do screen printing. You do lithography etching you do a lot of stuff yo what do you like so what's your favorite i like screen printing a lot um i like etching but i wish it wasn't so labor intensive like that's the only reason Mm. i don't do it Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I love screen printing. That's probably my number one. And then number two, I love um, lithography because drawing is my first love. And that's like the the process where you can get something that's truest to the look you would get to like a graphite drawing. Uh, there just isn't a lot of access for that, which is why I was, you know, you saw me experimenting with the wood lithography plate. And then I use polyester plates um, occasionally to get that effect too. How did you, how did you like it? The wood litho? Um, I did enjoy it. So what, what was, it, what was the name of the piece you were working on that people can check out? Um, I just reposted it on Instagram. Um, that's at, I, on Instagram at the hapless printmaker. Yeah. Just people to know. And I did a self portrait on my actual matrix. So it's on the matrix. And then the print that I pulled from that, um, that matrix, I'm actually going to use that as a background for another portrait. And so the portrait that I, it's not technically a print, but it was born from the printmaking process, um, is titled existing in a positively negative space. And so, um, I hope to do more of that soon. Cause that's another process that you can pull by hand, which I haven't attempted before, but I'm excited to see. Um, how consistent I can get with a hand pull wood lithography plate because it's a process that doesn't use any toxic chemicals, so you can do it at home with no issues. Mm, okay, yeah, I think that's one of the process I saw you do, and I was like, I'm going to try that one day, and I never got around to it. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. hard. It's hard it to, hard to find the time to explore all the stuff that you want to do. Like especially you yeah. see like so many people doing so much cool cool stuff. Yeah, it definitely has its limitations. Um, you know, you can't, the plate scums really easily. The most prints I found that I could get that were even sort of consistent, each one is going to be different, but mm -hmm. is like 10 impressions before it starts to break down or fill in. And so, um, but I still think, especially since I do a lot of unique prints, is definitely something I want to explore with and kind of push the boundaries of and see what kind of effects I can get with it. But that's like Google proof information. Like there's very little, <laughs> there's <laughs> very little information out there on some processes, oh, even screen printing. Like if you look up screen printing, you're going to be an expert in making shirts and know nothing about <laughs> on paper. That's true. Yo, that's true. Cause it gets a, everything is, it has to have some kind of function to it. And a lot of, of printmaking techniques are not, I want to say non-functional, but they don't have, other than the print itself, like it's mm. not meant for anything else, like other than just making prints. Yep. So that's funny. Yo. So I'm going to fast forward a little bit. So as you got back into printmaking, I think you started to you started to really get out there and, and show a lot of work in different places. Like you said, you were Atlanta at the Atlanta Printmaking Studio Emerging Artist Resident. Uh, now you you've done the Living Walls murals. Which was which was super dope and super fun. Was that kind of the biggest thing you you've done? Yeah, that was a big project, and it took a long time. <laughs> <laughs> How big was your wall ended up being? And this is y'all can look this up on a website too. And the website again is thehaplessprintmaker.com. I uh, has some pictures and a video of her um, making it as part of living walls. She painted a wall for a martyr, right? Yep. Shout out to Brock Scott for that video. Really well done. Um, always like, nice to have um, a good video on your website, ain't it? Yeah, and I didn't even like I didn't know he was there. And so when <laughs> I they sent we had like a group text for all of the people who were working on a mural. So when they sent the video, I was like, when did he take this video? So <laughs> I was like, I shout him out because it looks good and nobody noticed. Like, okay, that's what's up. Yeah. Um, but it's like tw two thousand square feet. Wow. And it's not a tall wall. Like um, we had a scissor lift. I think at the highest point is 15 feet tall, but it's like 170 feet long. Yeah. You so, put on some work on that one, girl. Yeah, it was a lot. And um, it was a lot. It had a lot of detail. <laughs> <laughs> how long, did, so how long did it take you? Um, It took. It probably took about three and a half weeks. And shout out to Angela. That is a long time. 
Yeah, Angela Bortone and Caleb Brown and Sienna, who, because um, I was working at the time and I couldn't get out. Like, I started working on that right when Daylight Savings Times hit. hit. Oh. And so if I was would have come after work, I would have had like an hour of working time. And so they went out there and knocked out a lot of the, um, you know, base colors and filled in some stuff and like made it go so much faster. And it still took three weeks. But um <laughs> Just because it had a lot of detail and a lot of components in it. Yeah. That's dope, yo. And then from there, well, no, before that, you got into the creative projects over down at the goat farm here in Atlanta with another Studio Noise uh, fam, uh, Sachi Rome and Eugene Burr, right? Yep. So how how's your creative project experience been? It's been fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been such a good experience. Tell people what the what the what the creative project is, right quick, before because you know this might be broadcast other than Atlanta, so they might not know like how I get down. So it's a residency um, program that's here in Atlanta, and it's based on a model of service. And so each of the residents um, commits to hours of community service, and in exchange, we get a free studio space. Um, and we get exhibition opportunities. And so, of course, due to COVID, like there was no typically we would go into the community um, and it's always underserved communities. because that's my jam as an educator. Like I'm going where the need is. Um, and so we would typically outside of the global pandemic be going into, you know, southwest Atlanta, going into local churches with elders and things like that and doing outreach um, projects with them. So like different types of artistic activities that we wrote proposals for this year, it was virtual, of course, like everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, and in exchange for those hours, we get two years of studio space. Like who does that? Two full years. And, um, we get an annual exhibition this year. We like hit the jackpot where it was a group exhibition, but everybody got a solo show because of the way the, the space was broken up. So nice. Um, that was amazing. And it's an organization that thanks to, I'm sure, Netta um, Agbari, who is over the program and founded it. She's a fantastic person, just really genuine, really invested with the artists that she works with. Um, the Crayons Project has a ton of support. Like the amount of support that they get is unlike any other organization that I've ever seen. And so I am extremely thankful to be a part of it because um, I feel like it's opened up a lot of opportunities for me and a lot of exposure to people who can help like advance the career of an artist in Atlanta. Nice. Nice. So what what has been the best part for you, you think? Just having the studio space or the oh interaction with the people? Um, I'm kind of an introvert. I'm not, I don't know what to call myself. I'm, I can't, I am very talkative in the right situations, but I'm not good at small talk. So (laughs) it's like, Hey, how you doing? And then that's it. Like I'm looking awkwardly out the window. Um, and so for me, the best thing has been, um, the studio space. Like I did not realize how much stuff I had in, in my house until I got it out of my house. And now I, I think I'm always going to have to have a studio somewhere mm-hmm. um, because it just freed up so much space. And I think mental space, like, oh, my God, this clutter is gone. Let me do this giant drawing or whatever. Let me experiment with this thing. And it also helped me to get organized. Um, so I'm not always buying art supplies that I already have. Right. Which I think everybody does that at some point. Oh, yeah. Um, but in addition to that, like it has been really nice to get in touch with people who I wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, You know, occasionally I'll get like a DM on Instagram or an email from someone that I didn't know. And they're like, Hey, I saw your takeover with the creatives project. And I'm really interested in this piece, or I'm really um, excited about the type of work you're making, making, would you like to, you know, participate in this opportunity? And so that's really nice. um, Not to just have someone see your work, but the type of people who see your work and they like it and they follow up with something. Yeah. Even if it's just like, I want to keep up with you or add me to your mailing list. That's been really nice. So I don't, I can't, I can't compare the two. Like they're both been great. (laughs) Ah, that's dope, yo. 
that's dope. And so you got that and you you doing so much stuff. Yo, you putting me to shame. Like I need to update my resume and get back out there. And you had the stay home gallery residence that you just finished up like not too long ago. Tell us about that. So that was um, in Tennessee and it's a gallery that is owned by another podcaster, Kaylin Buton. Um, and I got plugged into their network. Like they have a crit program and I did the critique program and then they invited me back to be a mentor. So that's been a lot of fun to like expand the art kind of network to meet people who do, you know, sculpt found sculpture and people who do, um, fiber arts. And so that experience um, kind of plugged me into what they were doing on Instagram. And she actually moved from Tennessee where she had this beautiful farmhouse and this studio that was separate from the house. And so instead of, you know, selling the house, she decided to make it into a residency for women artists. Nice. Um, and that's something that you don't see a lot like there. And I'm going to, put this out there on the record. Hopefully the people who need to hear this are listening. There are, there's like a movement to make residencies. Cause I feel like residencies are now like either a substitute for grad school or the cool thing to do when you get out of grad school. So yeah, they're like yeah. everywhere. That's, 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 I can tell you that 100% <laughs> cause that's the yeah. conversation that we we're having uh, in grad school right now about different places you can go and all the different opportunities and what it can get you. So I, I agree with you completely. And so there's like this big movement or a big push to make residencies more family friendly because, you know, other previously, you know, it was built on this patriarchal kind of structure that you have six months of your life to not work and go make art. Like who lives life like that? Nobody. <laughs> Only a privileged few, yo, because I know I can't leave my kids. I can't leave my kids for for two weeks <laughs> before I, no. but I, I will personally myself go crazy. Not not to mention what happened to them. Yeah. And so um, they're like these parent residencies, but it's three months long or it's two weeks long in February when your kids are still in school. And I'm like, you can call this a parent residency all you want to, but this is not what it is like there is a very small segment of the population that can actually take advantage of this, this um, opportunity, or this is a parent residency, but you can't bring your kids with you. It's like, okay, so who's raising them? And so this was one um, residency opportunity that actually does what it says. Um, and, you know, Kaylin Buton, she does the artist mother podcast. So of course she's going to structure it as a mother and someone who advocates for mother artists um, create a program that is actually conducive to people with children. And so um, when I signed up, they just asked me, hey, what days can you come? You know, which is fantastic. You can do a week. You can do a long weekend. Um, and so I signed up for a week and my kids came. My husband could have came too, but he didn't have any more PTO. And so um, I invited Sachi Rohn, my studio mate, to come. And she brought her son with her. And so we spent a week out there. And, you know, the kids got to um, play games all day, which was like a dream come true for them. And we went out in the studio and worked, which was really nice. So um, that was a dope experience too, to get to enjoy that. That's dope, yo. Hanging out with Sachi all day. That's all right, yo. <laughs> I sit around making art. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Yes. Yeah, that was up, yo. So, so based on that experience, do you see yourself going to try to do more residencies or, or, what what do you what did you take from it? Yeah, that was like the fourth experience that I had. That one was the first one where I went somewhere else, though. So the other residencies that I've done were in Atlanta, were flexible. That was the first one that I did um, away from home. And that was kind of an interesting experience. I think I learned that my motivation doesn't change if I leave my house. So like mm. we were talking about this before the call, like. It's something that I need to do, but actually getting up to do it is a struggle. Yeah. And so I thought that leaving my um, my space where like right now I'm looking at this um, this thing on my shelf that's crooked. I need to fix that. And then you get closer and then you're like, oh, there's a mark on the wall. Let me go get the magic eraser and get that off. It's like this 
um, domino effect of things that distract you in your house that keep you from doing something that still exists when I leave my house for me. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I think that I would like to do more residencies, but like this one, I had a to-do list of things to do. Mm -hmm. And once I knock those things out, it's like, Oh, what do do I do next? And so I think if I leave again, um, which I have another residency, in California, that's supposed to happen, but I really Ooh, don't. girl, that. fancy. <laughs> I don't see myself get on a plane though, and like uh, I that's tough part, right? Yeah, yeah, I've already pushed it up once, and then I feel like if I push it up again, they're gonna be like, "Are you really coming?" <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, if I do go on that residency, I need to have like some prep done already so that I can just jump back into something that I've already started. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna do more. Just might be post COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, Joe. So you've you've participated in a lot of different programs. So now you're down at Print Austin. You got voted juried into the Contemporary Print Five by Five uh, by yeah. Miss Delita Martin, Studio Noise family. Amazing, Delita Martin. Big shout out to her. Um, she is. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, she is. So. Now that you see yourself doing a lot more shows outside of Atlanta, like, do you see that as an opportunity to do a different kind of work uh, that's available to be be sent out to all these different places? Yeah, I definitely do. When I went, I went to um, Art Basel a couple of years ago. Well, not a couple. Well, yeah, a couple of years ago, 2019. And I think that experience showed me that there is a lot of work out there, but I want to be in a place um, where printmaking as a medium is understood. I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh no, girl, you talking to the printmakers. (laughs) You know, we know what you're talking about. (laughs) Go ahead. But on, on that line, explain like what you mean. Cause I, I, and I'll explain what I mean when I, when I hear you say it. So, for instance, like you're talking to someone and you say that you're a screen printer and they're like, oh, you make shirts. And I'm like, no, I screen print on paper. You can screen print on paper. And you're talking to people who who like deal in art. And so that kind of or people not understanding what an artist proof is or people not knowing what an edition size is and why it's important that it's labeled or not understanding um, kind of like the intricacies of prints and what they are. And so after leaving there, I said to myself, I'm going to plug myself into printmaking networks. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to show my, my work anywhere. Um, that doesn't specifically like show prints. I guess what that meant to me is I need to plug myself into, uh, networks where not only do people understand what I'm doing, but I can see work that's going to push what I am doing. If, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Oh yeah. And so if I'm like the only printmaker in an exhibition or, or um, you know, if I'm the only printmaker in a space that's full of artists, then I'm not able to really push my medium versus if I am seeing prints, Um, or I'm seeing this technique that I didn't know existed or see a technique that I'm familiar with being used in a way that I'm not familiar with, that's going to push me outside of the way that I'm working and that's going to allow my work to grow. And so that's actually how I got involved with Print Austin because I was like, let me see how many print mailing lists I can be be on. (laughs) (laughs) Because I love me a workshop. Yeah, that's smart, Um, And so I found out about Print Austin just like being on the internet one day. I'm like, oh, they have like a print trade. And they were really supportive, like just from being, you know, trade portfolios are one of those things I feel like every printmaker does. Um, But they like followed up and like made a little section for us on their website and everything. Um, And I had people reach out to me like, hey, I saw your work at Print Austin. So it was like a really cool experience to see people in another state, in another region people I don't know who are mm-hmm. there. In um, and so that I feel like over, and even now the type of work that I'm kind of making now, um, 
I think it is a result of kind of placing myself in those circles of people. Right. Because now you see a different ceiling. Right. Uh, in terms of, of what can be done. I thought I always thought the same thing when I see going back to Matthew at Georgia State. When I when seeing him teaching class, but then seeing his work and seeing how right. how layered it is and how much like little little technical things that he would do with his screen prints to get like the different color variations and stuff like that. Um, it's very little stuff, but it, it kind of can ex- expand, like you said, expands your knowledge about what the medium can do on its own. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, back up to what you were saying about um, going into prints, the, the problem I would always have encounter, and I think a lot of people might have the same thing when you do kind of these bigger shows, is that when the dumbest question I ever got asked is like, yo, I do woodcuts and I make prints. It's like, oh, I do woodcuts. And they were like, well, where's the original? And it's like, uh, <laughs> and a, and yeah. a, the original of what? So in their minds, they only think of prints as G. Clay's or some kind of other reproduction of some other piece. Not the, not the print as an original in and of itself. Right. You know, and so like in it's not necessarily that you got to combat that kind of information, but you do have to teach people that the, the process that I'm using has a value that goes back in time. Like it's one of the <laughs> original ways that people would communicate with each other. Like this is not like something that I'm doing that's revolutionary It's it's bred into history. And so now you just need to know about it. And <laughs> not that I need to change anything. I just need to show you more of it and like getting with people like-minded people same way we go to Atlanta Printmaker Studio, same way we go to all the, to Print Austin and all these other places is because you don't have to have that conversation anymore. Now we can just talk about art and now we can just expand and be like together and, and everybody can appreciate what's going on. Yeah. And you can have like those enriching conversations like, oh, I really love this piece. Have you tried this? And then you'd be like, what? Yeah. And then you go try it, you know. So it's, you know, it's like that saying you should never be the uh person in the room who knows the most yeah yeah if you are you got to find a different room um and so when it comes to printmaking i want people who can look at my work and be critical about it and give suggestions within the realm of printmaking as a technique yep that's it right there i'm actually one last dumb question yo you ready (laughs) i got it are you (laughs) 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 all right do you consider yourself a printmaker or an artist? You know, I recently changed that on my resume. I said I'm a printmaker and multidisciplinary artist. Mm, I like it. Because I don't want to paint myself in a box. And um, I do like to say when people ask me what type of work do I make, I like to say I, you, I do print based media. Because I usually always incorporate some kind of printmaking technique in my work. Mm -hmm. But I don't want people to think that that's the only thing that I do because I'm capable of doing lots of different things. That's what's up. And there you have it. It's Chloe Alexander here on Studio Noise. Much appreciation to you, girl. Congratulations on your print Austin showing out there. This is going to be a good time. Y'all check her out. Thank you. And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Chloe Alexander. Congratulations on everything that you got going on. If we didn't mention it in the podcast, you can find her on IG at The Hapless Printmaker. Her website is thehaplessprintmaker.com. Make sure you check her out. Support and all that good stuff. Follow her, like her, do all the things, yo. Give her flowers. <laughs> all the stuff we like to do. And of course, you need to go check out Print Austin at printaustin.org. Find out all the great things they got going on. Check out the Print Expo, February 6th at printexpo.org. You got episodes to listen to. You go over to Pine Copper Line, 
NNS number one printmaking podcast. I love it. I listen to it every week. So go check them out for all the episodes featuring other people from the 5x5 exhibition. We'll be back with another episode talking to another person from the exhibition too. So make sure you check us out. Uh, Studio Noise has a great archives of podcasts. We primarily talk to black creators uh, just because we need our voices out there. They need to be heard. And this is the platform for that. So we got over 107 episodes featuring some amazing printmakers, um, dancers, singers, painters, directors, curators, all kinds of things. Everybody involved in the black art world, you can find them. We have a conversation with them right here on Studio Noise. So make sure you go check us out. And thank you so much for listening to Studio Noise Podcast. Take a second wherever you are listening. If you like what you hear, I think we have a good podcast, nice, fun podcast. We're talking to art professionals and creators. Uh, you listening on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you're listening. Why don't you hit that subscribe so you can keep up with all the new episodes we got coming out. Uh, if you can, write, write a review. Rate us. Give us five stars. Get us pumped up in the chart. Let everybody know about the noise. Please check us out on IG at Studio Noise Podcast, where we have graphics and questions and all kinds of stuff going on centered around this episode. And every weekend is Black Art Weekend, where we share some of the best black art that's being created right now out there. A lot of printmaking in there, too. <laughs> a lot of printmakers in there, too. I, myself, am a printmaker, again, my MFA in printmaker from Georgia State. And so I'm deep into printmaking. So you see a lot of love up there. If you want to send us an email, Go ahead and shoot over to Studio Noise Podcast at gmail.com. And you can find your boy, Jay Barber, at Jay Barber Studio on all your social medias. And to all my artists out there, we ain't got time no more for print faking. Okay, you know what I'm talking about when people come in the studio and just pull out their camera, start taking pictures, start sitting around, start picking up stuff, stop picking up stuff. <laughs> all right that's not what's the name we print making baby you come in the studio don't waste time don't waste your time don't waste my time don't waste somebody else's time that could be in there not wasting time because you print faking there's no print faking in 2021 it's only print making baby so get in that studio make some noise make some noise baby the studio noise podcast we'll check y'all out we'll be back with you peace